Father, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for all of these women. It's so wonderful, God, to see them back every single week. And Lord, we just ask that right now that you would just settle our minds, settle our hearts, Lord. I know that there's something powerful that you have for us today and you want to speak to us. And so I pray that any distractions, Lord, would you just allow us, give us what we need to remove those, take them out of our minds, Lord, keep our hearts and our ears open so that we can receive what you want to tell us, Lord. And as a result, God, I pray that we will be drawn closer to you. That's our desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, girls, so like Sylvia said, we are on the the fifth week, week five of a six-week series on the Lord's Prayer. And I didn't put the prayer in front of you like I have in the past, so we're not going to recite it together today. But we um, last week talked about give us today our daily bread. We talked about what that meant, our daily needs. And uh, when he said, give us our daily bread, what does it mean to be us, Lord? Who, Who do you have in my sphere of influence? Who do you want me to connect and lock arms with and minister to and love on today? And after he asked the disciples and says, pray like this, and he says, these are your physical provision. This is what you're asking for provision for, your daily physical needs. The next line would be more of our emotional needs. When he says, forgive us our debts, As we forgive our debtors. So Jesus is saying, pray like this, forgive us our debts, Lord. And so I want to look at that today. As I was writing this message, I began to think back to 2012. Jason and I went to the Holy Land. We we got to tour Israel and we were all over that land. Have any of y'all been to the Holy Land? It's really, truly an amazing experience. But one of the things that struck me most was in Jerusalem, there's what they call the Wailing Wall. Do you guys know what this is? It's literally a massive wall, is longer than this back wall of Sumner's Hall. And on one side, three-fourths of it is, de- really, I would say, the majority of it is dedicated to men. And then there's a dividing, a divider, and on the other side, it's this small little section of the wall that is allowed for the women, that the women get to be, take part in. What they do is it's where they write their prayer requests down on a piece of paper and they stick it into the wailing wall, this wall. And somehow they believe that's how the Lord's going to hear their prayers. But what was so interesting to me is standing back as a tourist, we walked in and saw all of this. And it was incredible because both men and women were literally wailing, hence the name the wailing wall, crying, crying, rocking back and forth. And what was amazing was the, the women on the women's side, of course there's so many women because we're awesome and spiritually in touch and <laughs> lots of women on their side and they are stacked on top of each other. Literally, there's chairs on top. So you've got one woman pushing her little piece of paper in, crying, and then you've got a woman standing on a chair over her, so straddling her, trying to get up. And then you've got someone, a little girl was on some woman's shoulders trying to get in and I thought, what, Lord, what are these concerns that are being presented before you? What is it? And then our tour guide gave us an opportunity. We got to go add our prayer in. And for me, it was a no-brainer. And I think some of you may have heard this story before. Is my daughter, Beth, is eight years old. And we discovered she had a heart issue at two and a half weeks old. And we knew that surgery was inevitable. And we knew that it was going to be open-heart surgery. And I was really, really praying that God would touch her heart and heal it and she wouldn't have to have surgery at all. And so we were in 
Jerusalem at the Wailing Wall in February. It was almost, I think, this week exactly in 2012, knowing that that April she was scheduled for surgery. So I am, like any mama, wailing at that wall, and I am, all of a sudden I get my post-it note that you'll see there. This is a prayer wall that St. John's is doing for the 40 days of Lent. And so any prayer request is in blue, any answered prayer is in yellow. And they've offered for us, if you want to write a prayer request down, you can put it on their wailing wall, if you will, um, which I think is wonderful. This church is a praying church, and I think that's amazing, and I love that. But anyway, so here I go with my piece of paper about that size, and I'm shoving it into this wall. And my prayer is, heal Beth's heart. Heal Beth's heart. You know the saying, you've probably heard this, is that we're only as happy as our saddest child. And that if you're a mom, you, you get that. Or if you're, as, if you're a woman and you have loved ones in your sphere of influence, you understand this, is that we're just lovers, we're nurturers, we're givers, we're fixers. And so when something's not right with those that we love, we're on it. And so I'm on it and I'm asking God to heal Beth's heart. Lord, heal her heart. And in my mind, that was Beth's deepest need. What Beth needed most... In my mind, on that day, when I'm at the Wailing Wall, is she needed her heart to be physically healed. She needed the hole in her heart to be healed. Some of you have friends right now, they're in a crisis health-wise. In their lives, they are battling something with their physical health, and you are praying just like I was for Beth. Lord, heal them. I have so many friends right now that are either experiencing cancer undiagnosed illnesses, all sorts of issues. And every morning I hit my knees and I'm praying for a list of people. God, heal them. But at that time in 2012, in my mind, Beth's greatest need was that her heart be physically healed. So I want to ask you a question as we start this morning or this afternoon. If you had the chance to be at the Wailing Wall and say that's where you knew God was going to answer your prayer, what... Would you say, what would you write on that piece of paper? What is your deepest felt need? What is your deepest need? And what would you shove into that wall asking God to meet? What would it be? I want you to think about that. And if God were to answer that, what would it bring into your life? What would it provide you? For me, with little Bethy, it would provide a mama with a lot of relief. It would uh, provide Beth from having to endure surgery. There'd be no scar on her chest. It It would provide a lot. In my mind, that's what Beth needed most. And in your mind, there's something that you feel that you need the most. What is that? What is that? I want us to look together at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to find a man who believed he had a need that he wanted Jesus to meet. And in his mind, it was what he needed most as well. And we're going to pick it up, and I believe we're in John chapter 2. I don't know if I wrote the... Did I write the address down? What did I write at the end of y'all's? Who? Yeah, John 13, starting in verse 2. So what's happening is Jesus' ministry has started, and he has begun to heal publicly, and he is now on the road back to where he's staying in Capernaum. He's staying with Peter and Peter's mother, and he's uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and he's going back to his house in Capernaum. And this is what's interesting. In verse 2, where we pick it up, it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news had spread quickly that he was back home, 
And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Isn't that exactly what you want to experience when you come home from an exhausting trip? <laughs> I've, been, I've spoken at two women's retreats in the last, four, last three weekends. I've been gone, two of them. And I got home this past weekend, and I was really spent. I was just really tired. And I, if I had come home with a house full of visitors, I would have been really, really cranky. I just had one visitor, but I wasn't cranky about her. Anyway, so, so visitors are packing in. They're even outside the door. And while Jesus was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed mat, man on a mat. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they could not bring this man to Jesus because of the crowd. So what did they do? They dug a hole through the roof above his head and then lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Oh my goodness, haven't you been there? This is the thing. If I knew Jesus was going to be in Capernaum at Peter's house and my daughter Beth is needing to be healed from a heart condition, you can better believe I am lowering that girl down on a mat. You know how that that instinct comes out in women? We'll rip a roof off. It won't matter to us at all. And that's what they did. Those roofs were thatched roofs. And they were able to tear it off without a whole lot of effort and literally create a hole in the roof. I've been there. I saw Peter's house. And you can see how it's structured that they could have lowered him right down into the room. I love the moxie on these men. But what we see among these men is they have great faith. They don't know Jesus, but they know enough to know this is the one that can heal me. This is the one that's going to heal our friend. We will do whatever it takes. Haven't you been there before where you just think, Lord, if you would just meet this need, just meet this need, Lord. This is what I've dreamed about. This is what I've longed for. This is what I want more than anything. If you would just fix my marriage, if you would just put me in that career that I know I was destined for, if you would just make me feel better, If you would just make my kid right, if you would just let me have a baby, Lord, if you would just bring a man into my life, I'll do anything. Would you just just meet that need, Lord? And that's what they're doing. And so they lower this man down, right down in front of Jesus. And so in verse 5, it says, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. My child, I love that he says my child. My child, your sins are forgiven. If I am one of the few that are lowering Beth down on a mat at that point, that's not the first thing I want to hear. That's not comforting to me. It's, it's just not. I'm being honest because I want to be honest for you. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. When you find that you've got a pressing need and your mind is fixated, this, Lord, is what needs to happen. This is what I want more than anything. I want this more than anything. And that desire now is mixed into what feels like a need. And if you don't get it, you don't know what you're going to do. And so what I want Jesus to say to me before anything else is that need is met, Laura. Done. 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 I was at a retreat this weekend, and, and the, the sweet girl that was, was there, and she was serving also, is single, and she's about to turn 30, and she, that was not, no, no, 
No. And she said, um, if, if it's in God's plans for me to be married, something like that. She said, and I said, what, what do you want? She said, oh, I want to be married. I want to be married. I remember that. I remember that. So Jesus says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Mm. That, upon first resounding, first hitting my ears, is like, that's like broccoli. <laughs> you know? It's like, I know that you want that ice cream sundae. I know you want it. But here's, I'm going to give you something better. <laughs> You're welcome. That's how this feels to these people. And that... And the reason I think it hits them the same way it hits us is, one, we don't understand our real need, and we don't understand our Savior. We don't understand our real need, and we don't understand the good and gracious, loving Savior named Jesus. And they're about to understand. Verse 6. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Verse 8, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and he walked out through this... He walked out through the stunned onlookers, and they were all amazed, and they praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Now see, the crowd got really, really excited because this man that was paralyzed stood up and walked, and miracles still happen today. And God uses miracles to draw attention to his deity, that I am God, I can do what no one else can do. But what he's communicating first and foremost is your greatest need. While you, my child, think it's that you should be able to walk, your greatest need is to be forgiven. Do you believe that today? Do I believe that today? That above all of the list of countless needs that I have, that I bring before the Father every single day, my deepest need, my greatest need is forgiveness. My greatest need is forgiveness. Without forgiveness, I don't get to hear my child. Because without forgiveness, my sins have cut me off from the Father. And so I don't get to hear my child unless my sins are forgiven. Neither do you. Our deepest, deepest need is to be forgiven. And I want to talk about that for just a minute. When the Lord said to this man, my child, your sins are forgiven. In his grace and his tenderness, he forgave this man of his sin. And what he did in that moment was he brought him back. He brought him back. He was going to restore relationship. That's what it means to be forgiven, is that you have been ransomed 
by the, by, when Jesus hung on the cross and he died on the cross and his blood was shed, it was the final sacrifice for my sin. And so upon faith and trusting that, I get to be called my child again. I get to be ransomed back into relationship, reconciled to the Father, and my sins are forgiven. And that is not only my deepest need once and for, for all, but it is my deepest ongoing need. My greatest need is to be reconnected and connected to the Father. And your greatest need is to be reconnected, reconciled, and connected to the Father. It is my greatest need, and it is your greatest need. And the beautiful thing about God is He is offering that relationship to each of us. He has no favorites. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall have everlasting life and shall not perish. And so he's offering this relationship to all of us. But here's where we get in trouble. Is that that, because we don't feel like that's our deepest need. I mean, yeah, okay, I prayed when I was eight years old that God would come into my heart because my camp counselor told me I should do that. And so I invited Jesus into my heart. It was sincere for my eight-year-old little self. But let me tell you, from that point on, I didn't go back to that and go, wait, that's my deepest need. That's my greatest need. No, my deepest need was that I made cheerleader when I was in high school. (laughs) My deepest need was that this particular boy asked me to homecoming. My deepest need was that I got into A&M, and I did. Whoop! (laughs) My deepest need was that I got married at 22, because otherwise you might as well start collecting cats. (laughs) So that's how I felt. That's how I felt. And so for me, it was like, I I cannot graduate from A&M and not have that whole engagement ring ceremony thing. That is my deepest need. You know what else? My deepest need was I'm going to have to get a job because mama and daddy are not going to pay for me anymore. I need a job, Lord. That is my deepest need. I need a job. Now my deepest need is I need another job. I need a different job. My deepest need is I do need a husband, Lord. I need a husband. My deepest need is I need this husband to change. (laughs) My deepest need, Lord, is I need a child. I want a child, Lord. My deepest need is I want to feel like I have my body back. I feel weird. My deepest need is I just need to sleep, Lord. That's my deepest need. My deepest need is I need my daughter healed. I need her healed. My deepest need is that my son makes the team. It's my deepest need. My deepest need is that we are debt free. My deepest need, Lord. Oh, okay, yeah, I have forgiveness. That's good. Okay, yeah, thank you. My deepest need, Lord. Right? Right? That's what we're talking about today. And Jesus is saying, babe, I've met your deepest need, and I'm going to continue to meet it. And these desires, we're going to talk about them. But your deepest need is me. Your deepest need is always me. Always. And Laura, because of the cross... Your deepest need will always be met. 
always be met. You don't ever have to be afraid that I'm going to hold out on you. You don't ever have to be afraid that I'm going to abandon you. I will never reject you. I will never shake my finger in your face. I will never tell you you're not enough. I will never tell you to stop whining. I will never tell you that's enough. I will never tell you I'm sick of you. Your deepest need is me and I will always meet it. I am is what he says. I am. You do not have to fear. I will never leave you or forsake you ever. And listen to me. The question is not, Lord, is that true? The question is, do I believe the truth? Do I believe it? Do I believe it? That is the difference between bondage and freedom. It is the difference between fear and peace. It is the difference between depression and joy. Do I believe the truth? What is the truth? My deepest need is Jesus Christ himself. And what has he offered himself? Praise God. That is good news. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. And let me tell you what happens, though. This happens. This. This happens. This is what, I'm just using this example today. This is the dividing wall of sin. This is what this is. And so here's the thing. I come into this world behind this wall. And it's like I can see, I can see God. I've been in church my whole life. I can see relationships that I want to be fully present in. I can see risks that I want to take. I see passions I want to get involved in. But there's something in the way. You know what I'm saying, don't you? You know what I'm saying, because let me tell you, I know what this feels like. There is something in the way. What is this? What is this? There's something in the way. How can I not get to you, Lord? I feel like you just, you're, you're just right around the corner, and I can't seem to get. What is it in the way? What is blocking me? What is it? I look over, and it seems like she's running free here. She's all happy with Jesus and all content. What is going on? What is going on? You see, when that man was lowered down into the roof on a mat, this was sitting on top of his heart. It's called sin. It's a dividing wall of sin. And the Lord tells us throughout Scripture that we come in with sin it says Isaiah 59 2 it's your sins that have cut you off from God because of your sins he's turned away and he can't listen Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death is death have you ever felt like you're a walking dead woman have you ever felt like you're walking and you're present and you're doing the thing and you're showing up and you're clocking in and you're leaving and you're making the dinner and you're wiping the rear ends and you're running carpool but you feel dead inside dead Dad, what is it? What is it? What is it? This is what it is. But here's what the enemy will tell me that it is. He tells me one of two things. Well, here's why this wall is here. It's because you, Laura, are not enough. It's because you're not enough and this world is not enough. Or it's because you're too much. You're too much, Laura. So here's what I do. I'm going to do everything I can to get this thing removed. I can't even fully identify it. What is this? But i got to get it removed. It's making me crazy. So here's what I'm going to do. If I'm not enough, I'm going to become enough. I'm going to become enough. 
So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a lot nicer. I'm going to be a good girl. I'm going to follow every one of those rules. Whatever the rules are, I'm going to follow them. Now, a lot of times we approach, we try and get this wall gone based on how our personalities are wired. And I was thinking through this because my husband Jason and I are, um, we, have, we have different temperaments totally. Jason is, well, he's nice. That's what it is. If you want to know the difference between Laura and Jason, he's nice. Ask Sylvia, right? He's a saint. He's a saint. So Jason, in order to remove this wall, he's going he's gonna to be good. He is working hard. That man, I'm telling you, if he's working for you, he is, he's there early and he leaves late. That boy, had, he, he, it, he breaks out in hives at the thought of breaking a rule. He's going to follow it he, to the letter. He will. Because he's got to get this thing down. And so he's got to become enough. He's got to become enough. And so he's going to do a lot. And he's going to work really, really hard. Some of us, we may not really consider if we're not enough, but our lives aren't. We don't have enough. And so we're going to remove this barrier, whatever this is, by adding things into our lives because we must be functioning in a deficit. And so if I could just get married, that would remove this. Well, if I can just have six kids, that's going to remove this. Well, if I can just get a little bit bigger house in the right neighborhood with the right circle of friends, they look like they're really experiencing life without this barrier. So if I could just be here in this circle, this is going to be gone. If I could just have more money in my account because there's not enough. And if there were more in there, then I would be better. And so if we come at this and we think, well, this is here because we're lacking something. And then we start filling and we start doing. And boy, you want to talk about despair? Get that bigger house. Get it. Get that man. Get six kids under your roof. Get it. Get that deepest need met in your mind. That deepest need. Learn, start to walk again. Whatever it is. And then you want to know where despair sits in is when that thing turns on you. And you think, well, this is still here. And we're exhausted. You want to talk about depression? Been there. The rest of us, if you're born with more of a temperament like myself, you think, well, this is here because it's, it's got to be somebody else's fault. This is here because I, well, I don't know why it's here, but I'm going to get it down. It, it certainly can't be my fault. So I'm going I'm to get this down. And so you're going to tell, so for me, I don't even know how to explain this except break all the rules. Break all the rules. This is here because somebody is stifling me. They are stifling me and I will not have it. Oh, you're going to tell me I'm not going to get married at 22? Well, I'll just date and kiss every boy I want to at 22. You're going to tell me I'm going to get married and struggle in my marriage? No, I'm not. He will get right. <laughs> You're going to tell me I'm not going to have a kid when I want to have a kid? No. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so I just keep adding and keep, you know what I mean. I call the shots. Well, let me tell you something. Both temperaments are calling the shots, are we not? Why? Because both temperaments are devising their own plan to remove this wall. 
Is there anything wrong with wanting this wall moved? No. Nothing. It's a God-given need. It's your deepest need to have this removed, this wall of sin that blocks you, cuts you off from the Father. But when you step outside of God's plan to remove the wall, that's when we're in trouble. That's when we're in trouble. And here's what the enemy says. I'll tell you how to remove that wall. Eat from that tree. I'll tell you how to remove that wall. Marry that guy. I'll tell you how to remove that wall. Divorce that guy. I'll tell you how to remove that wall is live here. I'll tell you how to remove that wall. Be friends with this group. I'll tell you how to remove that wall, whatever it is. You fill it in. And after year after year of the wall still persisting, I'll tell you how to remove that wall. Go to church every Sunday and don't miss. And I'll tell you how to remove that wall. Start serving. I'll tell you how to remove that wall. You better sit in Bible study and never miss. Those are all still deeds, aren't they? All still deeds. All still my effort to do what only God can do, forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And he is clearly making a point. When this sweet man who is paralyzed, do you think Jesus doesn't want that man to walk again? You remember in week three, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. His will is no illness. But he knows that in this side of of heaven, that what we desperately need the most is for our sins to be forgiven. That is and always is our deepest, deepest need. So we've got the wall. We've worked really hard to get the wall down. It doesn't come down on our own. So what do we do? We say, Jesus. 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 Help me. Eight years old, ask Jesus into my heart. Eight years of age, ask him into my heart. At 22, I was so burned out on church and so burned out on doing the right thing. And then I got so burned out on breaking all the rules that I finally, finally said, help Jesus. Jesus. In Romans 3.22, it says we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Oh, that is good news. Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Every single one who believes. No matter who we are. No matter who we are. No matter who we are, take that in right now. Some of us just need to hear that and let that wash over our own souls. No matter who you are. But some of us need to take that in and in our mind, we've got that neighbor. And we go, oh, no matter who we are, everyone is welcome to the table. Everyone is welcome to the table. And we come to the table through forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on a cross. We've heard it, many of us, all of our lives. 
Some of us, though, are hearing it for the very first time. And we've heard it all of our lives. Praise God, Lord. Open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts. Because we got to receive this. Or you will live life so desperate, so frustrated, so depressed, so much of a wandering soul. Unable to figure out why this never leaves. What is the deal? And the Lord is saying, baby, you need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. When you come to Christ... And you say, Lord, that is me. That is me. I've heard about you my entire life. I just have never made that my own. It's never clicked for me until today. When you say that and you say, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. What that means is that it is a one and done thing. Forgiveness of sins comes to us in two aspects. One is it's a one and done. um, It's it's a you're justified Once and for all, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, that word means to telestai. And what he meant is there no longer needs to be another sacrifice for sin. He is the final sacrifice. So when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, it was finished. And so when I come to him and say that your blood on that cross is the covering for my sin, I need it, I want it, Lord, I believe it, I put my faith in you, then I don't ever have to worry that I'm saved. I don't ever have to worry that I'm going to be cut off from him again. I don't ever have to worry about it. As soon as that prayer is spoken, this wall, is, it comes down. And I am reconnected to him, and he says, my child, come home I will never leave you or forsake you. You are mine. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so it is a one and done. It's a justified, meaning just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. So there is a covering over my life. When the Lord sees me, he sees the blood of Christ over my life. And so I never lose um, being a daughter, if that makes sense. I'm never in jeopardy of being cast out of the family again. I am in the family of God. I am never going to leave. I am always his kid, no matter how I act. Praise God, that is good news. Because if you think for a minute that after I said, Lord, I need that for me, that I was some good little Christian girl for the rest of my days. No, you didn't see me this morning. (laughs) You didn't see me driving here. The second most beautiful aspect to, not the most beautiful, but a second beautiful aspect of forgiveness is there's that judicial J. Oswald Sanders says this. He says it's like a judicial forgiveness that the the penalty, our debts have been forgiven. Forgive us our debts. They've been forgiven once and for all. And so now I'm, I'm reconnected, reconciled to the Father once and for all. I never have to worry about losing my salvation. If I died tonight, when I go to heaven, why should I let you in? Because I put my trust in Jesus and it's his blood. And please don't look at the good deeds or the bad deeds because I know what's going to outweigh them. He doesn't even care. It's not even about that. Who do you say that I am? That's what Jesus cares about. Who do you say that I am? You are my Savior. 
That is who you are. I am here. I am going to spend eternity with you because I've placed my faith in your sacrifice for me. I owned it myself. It was no longer mama and daddy's. It was mine. I owned it myself. So I'm always his kid. I'm always his daughter. I'm back home. I'm back home. And now the second thing that's so beautiful is now as I live the rest of my days out on this earth, there's another forgiveness that's afforded to me, and it's, it's a paternal forgiveness. And so what happens is justified means we lock arms. I'm back in covenant with the Lord. I'm forgiven. I'm always his kid. But there are times I'm going to let go. There are times I'm going to walk away and do stupid stuff. There are times I'm going to doubt him. I'm, going to, I'm not going to believe that he is who he says he is. I'm going to hook onto some lie and I'm going to go down some derailment. There are times that I am going to be wayward. I'm going to just, I'm Laura. I'm still Laura. I'm still his kid though. And so what happens is as I live these days out, this, it feels like this is here sometimes. Lord, where, I, I know I'm yours, but there's something, there's something. And that's the beautiful thing is that when this happens, when I let go, when I still sin, and it feels as though that dividing wall has resurrected, I get to come into his presence, Hebrews says. I get to boldly come to the throne because I've been sprinkled by the blood. And when I come in there, I say, Dad, tell me what's going on with me. What is happening? Where are you? I feel lost. I feel like you're not there. Sometimes it's because God's taken me to a deeper level of faith, but sometimes it's because of my sin. And he'll say, Laura, I tell you why we're dis- I tell you why we feel disconnected. It's because we are. We're disconnected, Laura, because you keep doing that thing. You keep trying to find life here. This well is not your well. I'm your well. That's not your well. I'm your well. Gap is not your well. Target's not your well, Laura. That bottle of wine's not your well. That social media page is not your well, Laura. Those kids are not your well. That thing that you want, all those deep desires that I have, all those deepest needs, that healing is not your well. That dream is not your well. They're good things. There's nothing wrong with them. Pray for healing. Press in for it. But at the end of the day, Jesus is so gracious and good that he knows the deeper need always is him. Always is him. And so if there's something that I'm doing, if there's sin that is present in my life, it will feel like that wall is there again. But the beautiful thing is, is that because of the blood on the cross, I always get to come to the the throne boldly and say, Dad, forgive me again. I'm so sorry. And it doesn't mean I get saved all over again. I have been removed from the kingdom of darkness. I'm in his family. So it's not that I get to be, that I have to, I'm reinvited into the family. I'm still in the family. It's just now let's look him back in the eye. (laughs) Let's reconcile. When Jason and I hurt each other, it doesn't mean we're not married. It just means we got to do some business of forgiveness so that intimacy can be restored. And so as you walk out your days as a daughter of the great king and savior Jesus, and there's times where you walk away and there's times where you sin, the beautiful gift of forgiveness is you get to come back home. You get to come back home. And every single time you turn to come back home, you can bet His face will always be the same and it will be beaming and it will be glorious and he will welcome you 
There will never, you will never, ever, ever have to worry that you're going to experience the face of the Father as like disgusted and disappointed and mad. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Sin is atoned for. How does he feel about you? He's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. He only has your best interest at heart. He only has your best interest at heart. He's not your genie to jump jump through your hoops or your bottle. But he always moves on your behalf. It brings him the most glory and you the most benefit. But here's the thing is, I've got to trust him. I've got to believe him. And so now... When I am faced with a deep need in my life, like my daughter Beth, I want her to be healed, Lord. I want her to be healed. Man, there were some seasons in those days when I was mad because that ultrasound showed that heart, that hole was still here, and she, he should have healed her by now. It'd been three months. He had enough time. He should have healed her. And I was mad. And I went straight to Target. But God, in his grace, drew me back to him. And I could cry and say, I want her to be healed. I just want her healed, Lord. And he would say, Laura, I know that. I'm writing Beth's story. I'm writing her story, Laura. She's mine before she's yours. (laughs) But Laura, you're mine. Come back to me. Come back to me. And then when I would get back in his presence, I'd realize, you're what I need. You are what I need. And now, because I'm reconnected and I'm intimate with the Father, I can face whatever is before me. Heart surgery, she had it. She did great. She's doing great. But she had surgery. She's got a big old scar on her chest. But he was with me. He was with me. I was talking to Beth last night. She's eight. And she's uh, bent more like her mama. And so she's, she's, she has no problem breaking any rule present. And so last night we were up, Jason and I were up late with a family meeting with Beth because her attitude has not been the most lovely. And so I'll just leave it at that. So we were having a discussion about it. But it was interesting because Beth was very, very honest, and she said she, she aired her grievances. And then, but one of the things that struck me so much is what she was saying, is that she said she was getting mad at herself, and she said, when Daddy took me to school, she was mad at Daddy because he couldn't miss his meeting and be at her Valentine party. And she was mad. And she, so he took her to school, And she said, she was so honest, and she said, I got out of the car, and I wouldn't kiss him goodbye because I was so mad at him. And she said, but then when he got, and she just, tears strolling, and she said, but when I got out of the car and I shut the door, I was even madder at myself because I really wanted to kiss him. And so I spent the whole day so mad at myself. But then, on top of it, I didn't want to go back to him and say, I'm sorry, Daddy, I really wanted to kiss you, because then I thought he might say, see, I told you, you should have. So her pride wouldn't even let her come back at the end of the day and say it. And I said, isn't that just like us? And that's what that sin nature that we will always battle until we're in heaven will do to us. And so this paternal forgiveness that we're granted is so, is so precious. 
Because when I do that and I'm mad at you, Lord, I'm mad at you. I wanted you to heal her. I wanted you to heal her this way, this way. And if I refuse to go back into his presence to get reconnected, I stay like this. And when I stay disconnected for too long, I'm going to derail. I'm going to derail. If Beth had not confessed that and reconnected with her daddy last night, that would have gone on. That would have been a seed that would have grown in her little heart. And I said, Beth, this is what's beautiful, is that when you, when you have that thought, when you catch that, you go right back to Daddy and say, Daddy, I really wanted to kiss you. That's what I really wanted. Because what did you really, really, really want? What was your deepest need, Beth, your deepest desire? And she said, to, to kiss Daddy. I said, it always is. It always is. And it's always mine and it's always yours. Your deepest need is to be with your Daddy. Your deepest need. That's why Jesus says, pray like this. Abba, Father, it's my deepest, deepest need. And when I'm connected to him like that, I'm going to walk through some hard things. We've all in this room, and many of us are walking now through them. I'm not alone. I'm emboldened. I can grieve, and I don't grieve by myself. I can ask, and I'm not asking questions to a blank wall. I'm not walking through life like this. This is removed. One of the ways that you and I will know that this is removed is because our affection will grow for the Father. You were wired, you were made to be His beloved child. That's who you are. You were made to feel as though you're His favorite You were made to know how wildly loved you are by him. That's how you were wired. That's how you were wired. And when you experience that, that wall is dissolved. And that is why he says, pray like this. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I need that forgiveness. It's not so that I can somehow get this behavioral chart right and check something off a box. It's relationship he's after. It's always relationship made possible by the blood of Jesus. And so as we close today, I want to ask you, some of us have never, never come home and said that. Okay, it made sense for the first time today. Yes, I need that blood for me. I need to be reconciled to the Father. You've been around it. You've never come into the house and said, I need it for me. I need it for me. Others of us, we have, but we've just let go. We've walked away, and you need that paternal forgiveness. You need to come back and say, Dad, mm, I need you. I walked away. I slammed that car door, and I walked into my life, and I have totally forgotten. And yet, at the same time, there's nothing that's satisfying me, and I miss your kiss. I miss you. He's saying, come home. Come back, wherever you are today, for the love. I beg you and me, don't allow the enemy to steal one more day from you. You come home, and your dad cannot wait. Scripture says angels rejoice in heaven when one kid comes home. Be that kid today. Let me pray for us. Lord, 
Forgive us our debts, Lord. And as we receive that, Lord, we forgive those that have wronged us, Lord. Teach us that today. And Lord, I'm asking by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would allow women to be courageous women of faith that will say, yes, yes, that's me, God. I need your forgiveness. Come into my life, Lord. You've made it so simple, and yet it so profoundly changes me. Mm, Bring us back home. In Jesus' name, amen.